Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. As everyone knows, tonight we have the privilege of having two amazing writers with us, um, Karen Harris and Kate Atkinson. Daytime audiences know Karen from her amazing writing on the daytime drama General Hospital. But before General Hospital, she spent nearly 10 years at Universal Television. She has written pilots for Spelling, Fox, and ABC, among others. Movies of the Week and ensemble dramas for Universal and Lorimar. Karen reinvented herself in the mid-1990s as a writer of daytime dramas, where she has worked consistently as both a scriptwriter and a head writer. Recently, Karen followed her longtime passion into the theater. In addition to co-writing part of the plan, Karen currently serves on the advisory board of two nonprofit Los Angeles theater companies, the Veterans Center for Performing Arts and Phoenix Rising Theater Company. She is also running for the Writers Guild of America, which she served on from 2008 to 2010. Kate Atkinson has created, developed, and produced documentaries, narrative films, and live stage productions. In 2008, she acquired a distribution deal for McCartney's Jeans, the independent feature film she produced in Austin, Texas, starring Hamilton Von Watt, Lisa Sheridan, and Ron Livingston from Office Space, Swingers, and Sex in the City fame. She has produced several more short films as well as begun the financing on a feature film scripted by Emmy Award-winning writer Paul Rayleigh. That's David Letterman, SNL, Grace Under Fire. Kate is currently attached to direct her first feature film, Ms. Vinyl, set to shoot in September of this year. They will be talking about their new project called Part of the Plan. If you want to know more about this, visit www.danfogelbergmusical.com or you can get them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Musical Part of the Plan. Let's welcome to the airways the extraordinary lady, Karen Harris and Kate Atkinson. Hello, ladies. Hi, Deb. Hi, Deb. Thank you for that amazing introduction. I don't think I need to say anything. I recognize myself. <laughs> and you gave a nice little teaser. I hope people stay tuned because we're going to have some good things to talk about all the way through, but particularly we want to make an announcement at the end, you know, towards the end of when we're speaking. And so... Um, we're very excited about all of our work. Absolutely. They have a big announcement, so definitely stay tuned through the interview. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things. Karen and Kate are, are uh, two multi-faceted ladies that have lots of projects on hand, and we're going to talk all about this with them. Um, okay, Karen, what was your first writing job, and what led to your decision to choose writing as your profession? I, my first writing job was, um, the first thing I got paid for was on the series The Incredible Hulk. I sold a spec script, uh, not a spec, uh, sold a pitch. I had a writing partner then, Jill Donner, who was a dear friend from, um, we went, we've known each other since junior high. Oh, my goodness. Writing, because Jill came to me. I'd been, I was an associate producer and a production assistant, and I was in between jobs. I'd type scripts for a living back when we typed scripts, when we, before computers. Oh, my goodness dating myself a little, but Jill came to me and said, I have good ideas and you know structure, so together we'd make a pretty one pretty good writer. 
And uh, so we got together and wrote a couple of spec scripts. And um, I always thought people were born knowing they were writers. And I discovered through my writing of, of the typing scripts for other people that nobody, you know, that everybody makes mistakes and everybody throws away material and everybody doubts themselves. Insecurity is a is a necessary part of being a writer. You have to be really insecure and unsure of yourself. So I fit that bill perfectly. And, and, but but we were able to get um, an introduction to Ken Johnson at Universal, who created The Incredible Hulk. He was looking for uh, young writers um, and really liked mentoring writers, which was a great lesson for me. And uh, we sold our first idea to them and wrote a script, and then they came back for a second one at The Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. And, you know, oh. like, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and she's, by the end of the first season, they realized they kept coming back to us for scripts. And even though we were brand new, maybe they should bring us in as story editors. And we ended up staying, essentially staying with the show for the entire run, the whole five years. Uh, uh-huh. And about year three, Jill and I realized they were getting two for the price of one, <laughs> because which mm-hmm. happens a lot. And that we had both become much more confident and knew we were already working our way into the ranks of producers uh, on the show. And uh, writer-producers, we were story editors and executive story editors, and we were becoming producers. And we decided to take a stand and um, have them hire us as individuals because I now we – we put our names on both our scripts, but I would write one and she would write the other, and we both – decided that we wanted our own identity. We're still actually really good pals. Jill and I were out to dinner the other night. And, and, and she wrote, when I was head writing on Port Charles, uh, Jill came on as a, as a script writer for me. It was the first time she'd done daytime. But, but So that was how I started writing. And I was at Universal for a while, going from show to show. And, um, and then the writer's strike of 88 happened. And when it was over... A lot of changes have been made, including dropping a lot of people's contracts. And uh, so I wound up going over to Lorimar and doing a series and going to Columbia and doing a series and writing pilots and pitching all over and, and that's pitching with a P. <laughs> 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 I did a lot of it with a B as well. <laughs> and that's, that's how I became a writer. And, um, and it's just kind of, it's the, you know, at a certain point, when the industry was changing after about 12 or 15 years of movies of the week and all kind really having it created a good road for myself. Absolutely. I saw that there wasn't a lot of requests for what I was doing, that comedy was becoming very active again, and I'm not a comedy writer. I, I always say I like to live comedy and write drama. Um, and, uh, and Wendy Rich said, um, oh, I'm having so much fun. Come over and work with me on... on uh, General Hospital, and I it, I knew that once I did, daytime would probably be where I'd be for a long time because um, that's the way it works, and it was uh, it's a decision I never regretted. Oh, fantastic! Well, as you as you mentioned, you were you've been on General Hospital for a number of years and wrote some amazing amazing stories. B.J. Park, Stone and Robin, Jason and Robin, just to name a few. What do you see as the biggest difference in daytime now versus in the 90s? Well, I had the pleasure. I mean, I, I worked with Bob Guzan. I co-head wrote with Bob Guzan. I'm very fond of him, and we had a really good uh, collaboration, especially when uh, we were doing the Clink Boom story. Yes. You know, Clink Boom and Sunny. 
Sonny and Brenda's story. <laughs> Sonny and Brenda started on and and Stone and Robin and BJ's Heart were under Claire Labine. And Claire Labine <laughs> is an, an, such an amazing writer and such an amazing woman. And really, I learned a lot watching her. I learned about writing daytime. And one of the things we got to do, um, among many that you don't see now, are the long kind of, the long scenes. I I remember once writing an entire act three that was one scene with Luke and Laura and Lucky. And it was when they told Lucky they were going to have a baby. Yes. He was going to have a sister. And he talks about um, dinosaurs. He gets off on this rant about stuff. I had the best time. But they don't, you never see a single scene that's allowed to carry an entire act. It was really astonishing. And I kept saying, you sure you want to do this? And Claire was so brave. And she was right. And I have to just say one thing, which is that Tony, Tony Geary used to say to me, how, is, how do you write the, the, the uh, Spencers? What's your thought process? And I said, it's the cleavers on acid. (laughs) I would would just think, just have them go completely off the wall. Have them living in their own reality. And that's what made it so much fun. I remember, I mean, it was always such a trip to write them. Um, No pun intended. No, yeah. So uh, that, that's one of the big differences is the scenes, you would have two or three scenes in act instead of going boom, 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 boom. It feels more, these days it feels more, I don't want to say predictable, but more by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, less spontaneous, less ability to take an idea. Now, that was um, my experience on the shows I worked on. Um, I've never been on the CBS shows. I don't know if it's like that on Bold and the Beautiful. I know Michelle loves being on, Michelle Valjean, Patrick uh, and Tracy Thompson all love being on Bold and the Beautiful. They may be getting a little more um, freedom to, to kind of run with it. One, sometimes Claire would just give me, uh, a, there would be an outline that would come in and it would say, uh, um, uh, uh, Sonny and Mike fight. And she didn't, I mean, we were allowed to create a fight. I was allowed to create a fight between Sonny and his dad. And I knew that relationship because I had based it on my husband and his dad, who was a, a gambler and a musician and never came, never showed up without his hand out and um, uh, was a bit of a, you know, used to work the room and charming. I remember I once used the line my husband used when somebody would say, your dad's so charming, and he'd say, yeah, well, not if he's yours. Um, and I once had Sonny say that about Mike. Wow. Yeah. So I, if you would, you know, I would be, we would I get the ability. She would say, you know, to Michelle, you know, write a Kev, Kevin and Lucy make love. And Michelle could do the scene with such a freedom. Yeah. And every scene didn't have to end with a cliffhanger. It should end with an emotional moment, as all scenes should. But it didn't, you didn't have to make up uh, cliff, I was going to use a bad word. Uh, cliffhangers, BS, I'll shorten it, BS cliffhangers, so the audience will come back. And I don't know if it's the shows that have changed or the audiences who have changed. It very well could be that the audience's attention span is shorter. I'm just putting that out there as a possibility so it's not completely on um, on the the studios and the network. But that's that's a big thing. it, uh, for me, it's the, it's the kind of the pace of the storytelling feels less 
so you have less chance to invest emotionally. Okay, okay. So does that go along the lines of character-driven versus plot-driven scripts? Um, I don't know, because in, in daytime you have so many simultaneous things going on. You may be very plot-driven, uh, running along with something that's very emotional. Um, I do think that the, char- that the character-driven uh, um, is always my favorite. Um, yeah. But we've had some really good plots. We have some fun stuff, you know. And really what you want to do is have the character drive the plot. So I don't right. want to separate the two. You want the characters to be the reason that the plots go places. The thing, that, the kind of writing that really upsets me the most and I really, I really rebel against is when I'm asked to have characters do things that are out of character because it's going to serve the plot. You should always serve the character, not the plot. And I agree with you. That's a lesson that I think sometimes people take. I think sometimes the lazy way is taken. Right, right. Which is um, yeah. Well, you you obviously were you know a um, a fan favorite as a, as a writer, um, and I know that you have moved on since General Hospital, and, and that's fantastic. Among the changes, you decided to go back to the board of directors for the Writers Guild. You're running again. Um, what made you decide that? Well, um, I, since I lost the last election, I was on the board. I ran again. I ran as an incumbent with five other people, and I was the only one that didn't get voted back on. And I was kind of stunned, as were they. However, I, I think the guild is so important, and I'm so involved. I'm on like six different committees. And they're all focused on jobs, and they're all focused on on, on trying to find work for writers who are out of work. And I'm also the chair of the Daytime Committee for the Writers Guild, and I'm very, very tuned in to the plight of daytime writers. So this is kind of a two-pronged thing. And one is, so I decided to run for the Writers Guild because I was invited to, that I felt that I had something to offer. Um, I love being, uh, as I'm not, I've never been good alone in a room. I love being, I'm very social and outgoing. So being able to go to meetings and be part of a bigger community is important to me, and I feel um, I feel useful at that. And I decided to to run because I think there are still changes going on. I'm working on all these committees. I'm practically on the board because of the number of committees. I mean, that's an arrogant thing to say, and I don't mean it to come off that way. But I feel like I'm very involved in what the Guild is doing. So yeah, absolutely. I might for the board and be able to vote yes or no on stuff as well. Uh, um, but uh, but I think that what I see, and, and this, this goes to the current state of soaps, is that the four soaps that are on the air right now are really, um, the, the numbers are up, as you probably know. The ratings are really improving, and that's, uh, that's always good. That means that it's unlikely that any of them will be canceled, and I still hold out hope that maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but maybe in a couple of years they'll look at maybe developing something new. That's a hope I have. I know nothing. Don't start rumors. It's just that uh, that's what I wish. And it's, these things tend to be cyclical. Comedy's in, actions in, actions out. So I'm hoping that that's the case. We also have the the the, um, the case of One Life to Live and and All My Children, both of which I was thrilled at, at once they signed their Writers Guild agreement and their Actors agreements. 
that they were being made for the Internet. I think they've done a wonderful job. I think the shows look great. And the the best news of all, I get goosebumps about this, and it's always a good sign when I get goosebumps, is with Oprah Winfrey giving them a shot uh, at, in reruns on OWN, uh, I think that's a really good sign. I think there's a chance they could end up there. I think there's a chance she might develop other soaps. And um, it's no longer, I have to call them soaps now because once they're on the Internet, they're not daytime serials anymore. No. So, um, and it's okay that we call them soaps. I think, I, I say it with pride and with dignity. And I think the fact that primetime, there's almost a show you cannot find on primetime that isn't serialized storytelling. So we have certainly um, justified our existence, for lack of a better word. So yes. I, I feel very hopeful that, that we're moving, we're, that, that the pendulum is, after a bad decade, that the pendulum is swinging back and we're going to find ourselves with, with something... Um, Something to look at again that where 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 we can uh, tell our stories that people and the stories that people like to hear. Oh, that that sounds fantastic. I I agree with you. Okay, there's more. Okay. Speaking of that, that's a that's a bad segue. Um, I'm working on a soap, uh, a prime time soap for cable. Um, that I'm really excited about. It's called Honor Falls. I've developed the uh, premise. It will be a series. It's, I'm working with a, uh, a company called The Company, T-H-E, Company. Oh. It's run by a guy named Charlie um, Ebersole. Charlie is this great young guy, Charlie's 30, and, a, and, a, and an entrepreneur. His father is Dick Ebersole, who is the head of... Uh, it's an NBC Sports for years and years and years. Right, and isn't he married to Deidre Hall? No, Susan St. Oh, oh, no, that's the difference. That's good. Steve's somebody. No, Abersol's uh, okay. um, married to Susan St. James and has been for years. That's right. And this is their son. He's one of a number. You may remember that um, about 10 years ago, the family, there's five sons, but two of the sons were on a private plane with the parents in Colorado, they were going skiing, and the plane crashed, and yes. one of the boys died. Yes. Charlie survived that plane crash. Um, his brother didn't. And Charlie essentially came out of that saying, if I was chosen to live, my life has to mean something. And wow. he, he's getting involved in really meaningful programming. It's kind of faith-based, hopeful. Um, he's doing a lot of good um, reality shows, but I'm the, one of the first people he's come to with scripted drama, and they're pitching this show to a number of different outlets in cable, and I'm very, very hopeful because it would be so great. It's, it's, it's really, it really feels like my soap background will come into play and my kind of right. primetime background would be useful, and it's just, it's, I, I'm not going to tell you the story now. I'll come back on when Absolutely. We- and tell you all about it because I think that our audiences will like that. It almost sounds, uh, just from the title, it sounds like uh, possibly military. Yes. Yes. Well, it's a town, but it's about a, 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 a the, the one-liner, the, the, the tagline is, a, a, a soldier comes back from Afghanistan, the only survivor in his crew, and has to... And, and looks for redemption for the fact that he was able to live and the others died. Ah, and goes through survivor's guilt and all of that. Oh, I would say. Sure. 
post-traumatic stress, and he falls in love with the widow of one of the men, one of his best friends oh. that, uh, over there. So it's li- it's a little bit of the Nicholas Sparks type of storytelling. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of love, a lot of yearning, a lot of romance. But love it. But it's very um, hopeful, and, and I- I'm very excited. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. The la- the, not the last thing, but the second, the penultimate <laughs> thing I'm doing that I'm absolutely thrilled about is I'm starting this fall at uh, Loyola Marymount University. Uh, one class a week, I'm an adjunct professor to second-year grad students, and I get to teach them the, uh, it's called um, uh, Writing the Episodic Drama, which is yes. And we picked the show Elementary, uh, which is really an interesting show. And it's each episode is self-contained, and we're going to recreate a writer's room so we'll all participate in the breaking of stories and the the building of stories. And I'm very excited. And one of the things that drove me to that was that in the Writers Guild, for the foundation, I I, uh, volunteer yearly um, to mentor veterans um, who are looking to be writers and be creative. And we work with them. And I realize that I never give myself enough credit for all the things that I've learned from people like Claire Levine and Bob Guzan, Ken Johnson, and all the wonderful mentors I've had. So I, I feel really, really great about this. Wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. And Tom Salazi, who, uh, who sort of opened that door for me, was one of the original writers when, when I went to my first screening of The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> To see the pilot, Tom Salazi and his partner Richard at the time, Richard Matheson, were um, the other were two of the writers in the room, and we became good friends. And it kind of shows how life goes full circle. Took me from that that first screening room at the Incredible Hulk, where my writing career started, to teaching at Loyola Marymount, where where he's he already is. How amazing is that? What a story! Yeah, and now. I can neatly, unless you have something else you want to ask me, segue, because I always think that things happen because they're part of a plan. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want, to, I want to reintroduce you to the, the, the desperately silent Kate <laughs> and biting on her, chomping on the bed here. Waiting at the clock. <laughs> yes. Who is a delightful, wonderful, creative person and um, – she can tell you a little bit about it herself, and then she'll tell you how we may, met and came to um, do this project together. Fantastic, because, you know, you know, um, Karen, I was just about to say, I am so excited about your announcement that uh, you ladies go for it. The floor is yours. I mean, it's like you, I, I just don't want to step all over you. You probably have questions. We can get to them later if you want. Well, and uh, no, it's, it's all good. <laughs> I just want to say I, too, uh, uh, am a collaborator. I'm an extrovert. I love working with people I, I, and teams. And I am just so thrilled to have Karen as my partner. She's been such an asset to this project. She's been a complete joy to write with and uh, has become a dear friend. So I'm so happy to be included in the interview and uh, happy to be here and, and doing what I really have found that I love to do. Well, I've always known I love to create but I found a love of writing that I would have never found had I not joined forces with the lovely Karen Harris. So uh, thanks for that, Karen. You're welcome. It's good to it's, – it's, it's scary to be in a room with someone that you don't really know well and discover that you're really good partners, you know. So yes. That's a, that's a gift. 
But Kate is also an, an entrepreneur and an independent film producer, and I want you to. I, I'm doing the interview now. I like interviewing. <laughs> you can go. You can go to sleep. Take a nap, Deb. I'll wake you when we're done. Oh, okay. All right. That sounds good. Well, can you tell us about your your exciting announcement? Well, the announcement is that we are going to be launching uh, a Kickstarter campaign. Karen and I have been writing a Broadway musical. I should say a Broadway-bound musical. And it's an original story, um, but it uses all of the music of the late singer-songwriter Dan Fogelberg. Um, and so much like Mamma Mia used, used the music of ABBA, but it was not about that band. It was, it was their own original story. We've created an original story that uses Dan's music, and we were able to get the rights to his entire catalog. And we've been you know, writing the book part, which is the scripted part of the play, and, and have had just a blast doing it. And, and um, rewriting. And, and rewriting. rewriting. <laughs> a lots of rewriting. But... You know, in terms of where we're at, we, we did a table reading with fabulous actors, and we were able to get a lot of great feedback in terms of what was working and what wasn't working. And we've included new songs and shortened others and, and rewritten characters, but we're really ready to see the project on its feet at this point. And so our plan is to do a stage reading that will involve not only the, the, the book, but the, all of the music uh, on a stage and then go into a three-week workshop. Um, oh. and, and all of that, all of that is done um, as a way to uh, the whole process of writing a Broadway musical. We've discovered is, uh, or Broadway bound musical, <laughs> is that um, it's it's all rewriting. I mean, people say some shows take ten years to get on their feet. And we, we didn't like that when no. we heard that. One, but, but I just for, for people who may not remember, I mean, people are either. Too young to remember Dan Fogelberg, but they say, oh, yeah, my parents listened to him, which is a little scary. <laughs> or they remember uh, Dan Fogelberg, but they can't remember his songs, or they have a list of favorite songs before you even finish your sentence. But once people hear his music, they, I remember when I was telling my brother about this project, who's a, who's a, he says, of course I know Dan Fogelberg. What did he write again? And I played him um, a, 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 a disc we have. In fact, it's on our website of clips from the from the, the show that we're planning on using. Although we're changing them around as well, we're adding more and taking some out. And he was like, "Oh my God, he wrote that! Oh, I didn't realize he wrote this. His songs are longer and uh, same old Lang Syne. And leader of the band, leader of the love stay, hard to say, heart hotel. You know, oh, and goodness. Kind of, it goes on and on and on. And and, and in fact. You know, we've been doing a lot of blog posting, and um, the fans of Dan Fogelberg, you know, are just remarkable. They're incredible. And they remind us of songs. I mean, he, he has, well, he put out 13 studio albums. Um, wow. And, and he worked a lot with the Eagles. He was managed by Irving Azoff, their manager. Right. And we, we're working closely with his widow, Jean Fogelberg, who's a wonderful artist. And and for the for the uh, Kickstarter, it's going to be in the next within the next ten days. You know, we'll be we'll be we'll let you know. And if you would be kind enough to post it on your on your um, media night uh, page, that would be great. And send oh, it, uh, absolutely fans on on Facebook. Um, but uh, we're going to be giving gifts in kind, like you do, and we're going to be. Um, we didn't want to give away the store, as they say, too soon. We want to make sure that 
we present the show we want to present. And doing the workshop, doing the stage reading is going to help us get this project to where we want it so that we can then um, bring in big Broadway producers who have the big money. But the fans have been so great uh, uh, on our site, which I, I think they're going to um, post and talk about at the end. But our, the Dan Fogelberg Musical website, www.danfogelbergmusical.com. We have our blog where we're telling the story of our journey of how we got to where we are now. Yes. York, actually, this is the first place where we've mentioned um, the Kickstarter campaign, but it became a natural. So many people, when we were blogging and when we started the Facebook page, we have already have like 1,600 people liked and looking for more. Anybody out there who wants to like us on Facebook, Dan Fogelberg Musical. Um, but they, but we have so many comments about how can we help. We want to be part of it. How do we get involved? This is the greatest thing. I mean, the fans have been... Um, well, they really, as you said, Karen Revere down the They really I revere mean, him. You know, he was such a... Uh, so many people say that his music was the soundtrack of their lives. You know? In fact, the L.A. Times not long ago had an article about romantic singers of the 70s, and they had James Taylor and Kenny Loggins, and Dan Fogelberg was one of them, and their description of Dan was that he was probably single-handedly responsible for more unplanned pregnancies than any other <laughs> Because everybody I know says that they, you know, in the back seat of the car, that Dan was playing on the radio. When oh, that is hysterical. It's so funny, but he's very romantic, but he's also a real, um, he's a, just a very spiritual guy and a great poet. Well, he is a poet, and he's a lyricist. Yeah, I mean, and, and a brilliant musician. Right, he plays he plays all of his own instrumentations on his albums. I mean, and that's that's partly I think where the idea came from because he's so prolific, and every song is practically a story in itself. Uh, right. That uh, you know, it was it was really a natural. What what happened was. Um, my boyfriend reintroduced me to his music uh, three years ago, and I I loved, I knew right away several of the songs, and I went out and I bought the greatest hits uh, CD for a road trip, and listening, you know, when you go on a road trip, you take three or four, and so you're listening to songs over and over and over, especially if it's a long road trip. But we were singing all the songs, and on the, on the way back from the trip, there's this beautiful orchestral opening to Netherlands, where I think he must have had you know, what, a full, full orchestra. Yeah, violins and everything. Um, and I just, having listened to that song probably a dozen times in, in those three days, it just came to me that that would be, and I, I turned to my boyfriend and I said, holy F, <laughs> since we're not cursing. Shite. You can say shite. Shite. Holy <laughs> And, you know, it, it was one of those things that I just could not get out of my head. I would tell dear friends of mine, and they'd say, oh, that's such a great idea. But it just kept mulling around and around. And the more I thought about it, the more odd things happened where people came into my life. You know, Karen and I shortly after that had a lunch. And we didn't know each other all that well. No. We were friendly. We, we went through mutual friends. Yeah. But we were having a lunch with several gals. And um, Karen was saying that she was excited about leaving her, her daytime job. Not excited, but that she had other things to do. And it was fortuitous. To, it you know, was she timely. happened to say, yeah, I think I'm going to write a play. 
And I almost fell out of my chair because I was actually looking for somebody to partner with to write this book. And oh, wow. The other, the other gal left. I asked Karen if she'd mind staying back. I wanted to chat with her about something. I said, would you consider writing a musical? She said, oh, I love musicals. I said, you know Dan Fogelberg? She said, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and, I mean, it was pretty much instant. We, we knew we were going to work together probably 15 minutes after talking. Yes. Um, right. And uh, it and it was, and the nice thing was that it was when we had that lunch. I had, ju- I was at the, I, it was sort of at the end of General Hospital. I knew I was leaving for uh, a month be- from a month before, but it was at the end. It was the beginning of January, and I was a little bit like, okay, here's an opportunity. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do? And I, I've always loved musicals. I worked in in, in music in before I started writing in my early 20s. I was in publicity and I worked for pop singers and all that sort of thing and and I and I just thought, you know, maybe it's time, maybe it's time to be really really brave. And I, there's a place near us called the American New Musical Theater. It's right down the street from my house and I thought maybe I'll contact them cuz they help put writers with musicians, with lyricists, with composers, with directors and they you know they help you kind of mount yeah they nurture you along and I said that would be great for me and then Kate gave me this I mean just essentially laid it in my lap and I thought hey let's get to work and we did and we're we're kind of we've done a lot of traveling we've been to New York several times we went to Chicago in the middle of winter I don't recommend it (laughs) to meet with some of the top uh, theater companies there to meet with Northwestern University which is Kate's alma mater and and talk about would because Dan's from Illinois would they be interested in doing a Dan Fogelberg musical? And they're all waiting to see what we come up. You know when we're ready to show it to them. They want to they want to come to our workshop. And, and I think that the the big news that we keep sort of alluding to is this Kickstarter campaign. And for people that don't know, it's really a way. It's a grassroots. Uh, way to get community involved, and in terms of the community, we're looking for people that love Dan Fogelberg, people that love theater, people that love new works, you know, people that people love that the love, art. People that love me. People that love us. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, That's funny. will be part of this process. It's a very exciting you know, to be part of developing a new musical that's Broadway-bound is is really kind of a neat thing that we're hoping people will come for the ride and be part of the plan, you know? Absolutely. We're taking a breath, Deb, if you have anything you want to say. Well, uh, obviously part of the plan is something you both are very, very passionate about. Now, how did it become... How did you come up with the title part of the plan? Well, that's a really good question. Interestingly enough, it's his very first hit song. (laughs) It was originally called Magic Magic Every Moment, Moment, which we thought might be a little too Disney-esque, but we did like it. Uh, You know, it was a beautiful, we thought maybe we'd call it Believe in Me. We always knew we wanted it to be either a title of one of Dan's songs or part of a title of one of Dan's songs. It was actually... Part of the plan was on both of our lists. Karen and I made lists of titles. It was my ringtone for you. Right. I had put part of the plan as my ringtone for Kate. But one who who is my boyfriend, who's been a big part of, I mean, I, you know, he's been a muse. I, I tried to find the male word for muse, and there isn't one. So uh, we could still, I, I believe it, it can be used for both the male and female. But mm-hmm. he said, hey, what about part of the plan? And 
I said to Karen, what about part of the plan? She said, that's on both of our lists. And I said, but how come we didn't think of it, you know? But it was pretty neat. It was part of the plan not to think of it until we did, I suppose. And and we realized that it is thematic to yes, our show, which is that things happen in their own time when they're supposed to, that, um, that things happen, things that the universe reveals itself. In a, it's, we don't know what the plan is, and it'll reveal itself to us when we're ready for it. And that's that. That's our hero's journey in 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 the story we're telling, which is about it's about uh, um, a young man who was given up for adoption as a baby. His mother was a 16 year old society girl in 1950, whose parents made her give him up, and it follows the two of them. The the young woman as she matures, and the boy as he grows for three decades through the 50s, the 60s, and the through and into Vietnam, the Vietnam War, um, uh, until and on their separate journeys. Oh wow! Okay, so could this an awful lot here, going spanning 30 years, but but we're we're really happy with you know where we're going with it, and hopefully it will it'll all come together. Right. Absolutely. Now, now this kind of touches on this is this is kind of a question that's kind of weird, but it's like uh, did the which one came first, the chicken or the egg? Because your primetime soap idea is called Honor Falls, yeah. which is kind of a same, not the same, obviously, but they're both kind of military type of situation. So which one came first? I have to tell you, you want to know which came first? Yes. Uh, well, what, what came first? Uh, <laughs> Honor Falls was once called the 360. It's a project that I've had in my drawer, as writers like to say. The, uh, the first version of it said, so this guy returns from Vietnam. That's how old that idea is. <laughs> and but, he but also part of the plan started out as an adoption story. You know, when I, when I came to Karen, I had a story I wanted to tell about, and it was actually about a kid who was adopted, who, and it was a girl um, who searches out her biological parents when she finds out that her, that her adopted parents have passed away. And, you know, she's gone through some other turmoil in her life, and when she finds her parents, they're actually together and she's got full-blooded siblings as well. So the bones of the story was there, and when Karen and I teamed up, we decided to incorporate, uh, first of all, we decided right away that we would make it a, a, a boy. Um, because of Dan Fogelberg. Because of Dan. I mean, we always knew we were going to switch it to a boy, but you know, in terms of wanting to, to make it a, more epic and have a lot of drama and, 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 and cover some you know, serious ground, because we felt that his music... Uh, warranted that, you know, in terms of the yes. songs that he's written, leader of the band being a, just a beautiful uh, homage to one's father and, uh, a, you know, a voice for peace it being this just giant orchestral uh, war. Anthem. Right? A peace anthem. Actually. Exactly. But we heard, a war, we heard a voice for peace and we knew we were going to, you know, somehow end up in Vietnam because we were covering that area of time. And it's such an interesting, we say... So I like to say it's the the post World War II boom times, the social and sexual, sexual revolution of the 60s, and the political turmoil of the 70s. So they're really interesting periods in our history, in this country's history. And um, and so we wow, 
It, it felt it felt right. It felt yeah. Right. Vietnam is not, it, you know, we don't go to Vietnam until the second act, and, and within a scene or two, we're, we're out, you know. So it's, it's not a it's, war it's story. A small, it's not a war story at all. It's, it's an adoption story. It's a searching for oneself story. It's a coming of age story. But he does he does go home with the 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 um the invisible wound of a soldier. Absolutely. The, the, the soldier. Oh. Yeah. And you know what? I I've been involved with the Veteran Center for Performing Arts. I'm I work sure. with the writing program. I I've become very aware of our responsibility as a community to the people who sacrificed their lives for us. So um uh, and you know, and I'm still the same person who protested the Vietnam War in 1968. But <laughs> but uh, but I also you know have a great deal of love and affection for those who who serve. Oh yeah, because you understand that they didn't really. I mean, they were still over there fighting for us. Yep. And yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Uh Kate, you have a lot going on besides part of the plan. Also, can you elaborate on this Ms. Vinyl, this new, this, uh, your first feature film? That feature film is actually going to be pushed probably by six months because I have gotten completely inundated with other projects. That is a project that I'm working on, I'm collaborating on with um, a gal who... Uh, it was a music producer, and she actually bought the soundtrack of my very first movie. Uh, but we're dear friends, and she's, you know, whenever I'm ready to do this story, she's ready to finance it. Uh, but what's been happening is I've been getting other work in the meantime. Um, I, I just finished up a film with James Cromwell, starring James Cromwell, Joanna Cassidy, um, Larry Miller, and Irma P. Hall, called Night Vet, direct, written and directed by Julie Cobb. Um, I'm in post-production on another feature film, and, and I is a short, is a, a and I and I just got asked to produce a feature called. Um, well, at, at, right now we're thinking about decisions. It's going to be an untitled thriller on IMDb because we'll probably change the name, but it will star Paul Ray, who was in uh, the Coen Brothers movie True Grit with uh, Jeff Bridges. And so I'm gonna getting ready to start shooting that feature in, on on August 2nd, and so that will shoot through August and September. And so Miss Vinyl is gonna have to be pushed back. Karen and I are getting ready to do our workshop. Probably, well, our stage reading will be at the end of September. The workshop will be probably in November or December. So I would say Miss Vinyl will will probably begin at you know in or around the first quarter of next year. Okay, so does that mean that, okay, where are you shooting it and this workshop that you two are doing, is this something that people can come to? Absolutely. If they live in L.A., we're going to be doing our stage reading and our workshop in Los Angeles. Okay. And people go to our website. We'll, we'll soon be posting at the very top of our website, which is www.danfogelbergmusical.com. We'll okay. be posting our Kickstarter link where people can read about what we're doing as far as the stage reading and the workshop, what they can get if they donate $10, if they donate $50, right. if they donate $100. You know, a little special tip thing we'll tell you is that Jean Fogelberg, is a, as Karen mentioned, is a wonderful artist, but she does these brilliant, fantastical, P-H-A-N, 
you know, fantasy, but with a PH, collages, and she's designing something that will probably, most probably become our playbill. And we're going to be uh, giving to our donors certain at certain levels, whether it's a mug with the artwork, a T-shirt with the artwork, or even a signed print. So that's a very going to be part, you know, a special part special. of our campaign. Yeah, so Jean's going to have a, a, a doing an, a, a one of her month uh, collages that reflects the story, and and to do like a numbered signed print will be, I think, really special. Absolutely. And and at a certain point, unfortunately, the workshop, the it depends. We don't know how much space we're going to have in the workshop. But there will be invites on the Kickstarter yes, campaign. Yes, there will be invites. And so again. That'll be part of Kickstarter. If you want to come see the workshop, if you want to get a, you know, there'll be all kinds of gifts for people to look look for levels. at different levels. Um, Wonderful. Yes, exactly. I just wanted to say something. I, I, Kate, I was just I'm directing this to Kate as well. I'm really stunned when I look at uh, at the wonderful response we're getting on the on our Facebook page, the, uh, the show's Facebook page, at how many men. Our fans. It's like finding out how many men watch soap operas. Right. Athletes watch, you know, Y and R religiously. Exactly. Or it is. And and the same thing with Dan Fogelberg. I, he touched uh, something in so many men. It was like they found there. They got in touch with their emotions, and they sang their his songs at their father's funeral. And I mean, they really. I'm really. I amazed. think that's because Dan Fogelberg was a man's man. Um, he, I mean, he's just, and gorgeous. he's gorgeous, you know, he had a ranch in Colorado, you know, he was a man's man that also happened to write incredible music that spoke to, you know, that just speaks directly to your soul. Yeah. And right. he has a way, his lyrics have a way of just saying, you know, I mean, the way he puts things, I yeah. mean, his lyrics are just incredible. Exactly. Yeah, we could really enjoy, and and I do have to. I'd like to say uh, one more thing, and then if, if you want to, I don't open know, it up for phone call. But uh, Kate and I, um, at, shortly into this process, started finishing each other's sentences. Oh. <laughs> one would say something, and and I would start to say something. She'd go, "Oh, I know what you mean," and we both suddenly be covered with goosebumps. I mean, we just felt every. So many steps along the way that we were onto something special, and that, and we are passionate, and we've bitten off a big, big lump of of hope here, because this is uh, putting together a musical, doing something for the stage. When you're, I mean, he's got a, a wonderful talent as a producer. I have a reputation as a writer. It doesn't mean anything to, to Broadway people, but we're proving ourselves with the work. And, and and just we are so, as you said, passionate about it and involved and determined and hopeful. And we've gotten such great support from people we've never met in our lives. And we've gotten such great support from the Broadway community yeah. as well, They've which been has great. been unbelievable. I mean, even when we did our first table reading, we had Broadway actors that wanted to read the parts we have a, 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 a for our for our attorneys. We have Broadway attorneys. We've met Broadway directors when we go to New York. Mm -hmm. We're really excited. Uh, I think you know, and and not to 
a lot of it, I have to just say, you know, Dan Fogelberg was well-loved by many. And so I think when people hear right away that, you know, we've got the music to Dan Fogelberg, they want to read what we've got to read. And then, you know, when they like what they've read, they're ready to, you know, they're they're ready and willing to meet us. And it definitely, yes, when we say Dan Fogelberg's name, doors slam open everywhere. Doors and windows opening up. You can hear them. Right. And when we were in, I just wrote a, uh, we just finished the blog posting of uh, when my trip to New York. And people were so, one of my my points in it is how generous people were sitting down and meeting and saying, you know what you, you know you should talk to, you know who you, you should meet, you know what you should try, go to show. Yeah. I bet there's, you know, I mean, people just offer their wisdom. And I found that very, very heartening because it could be such a closed community. If, if, but I think, I think people sense what we're about and our passion and I Absolutely. think they respond to that a lot of, in a lot of ways. Because we don't go in like we know everything. We don't go in, you know, arrogant. No, of course not. And and I think it's a perfect time right now for this because there is so much how do I how do I put it? There's Rock of Ages that's huge. There's all these tribute shows and it all goes around like the music of that era is so prevalent right now, and it's making a resurgence. That's and that's... Right. They're called jukebox musicals. It's, uh, it's Jersey Boys. It's Mamma Mia. Exactly. It's moving out. Moving out. Souls moving out. Yeah. And, 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 and I also think that, um, you know, there's been a period of time where it's been very... Um, everything's been um, based on a movie or based on a... On a, a, a TV show, or you know, you've got the Adams Family, and you've got, and and it's nice to have something that's original. I mean, that's what we're hoping is that people respond to an original story. That's right. Anyway, so I'm going to say one more thing, and uh, yeah. I'm just going to put it out there because you know, and and again, whatever whatever anybody believes in terms of their faith in something or not, or their spirituality or not, I really like to believe that good old Dan Fogelberg is like a little guardian angel to us because things have happened all along the way from when, you know, we reached out to a huge producer in Chicago who's done Broadway and is, I mean, the top of the top, and she wrote us back not knowing who we were, saying Dan Fogelberg was her very first concert experience in Chicago. Um, Kate wrote the first letter Kate wrote to Jean Fogelberg to say we were interested that she was interested in music. Jean wrote back and said it happened to arrive on the anniversary of Dan's death. Or that she uh-huh. wrote back to me on the anniversary, on the anniversary of, of Dan's death. death. But even bigger than that, Karen and I just started our blog posting, and I had to track down because we're retroactively dating our blogs. From and I and I had to track down this road trip that I took with my boyfriend on on our way to visit his sister, and so I called his sister, and so she called me back with the date that we you know that she booked the house. And this was the this is the date the weekend that the idea came to Kate on the journey. Right. So I posted the date up on my page, and then somebody from the Fogelberg Foundation that we're working closely with happened to mention that our Kickstarter campaign that we're about to launch. For 30 days, Dan's birthday will fall in the middle of it, and what a great thing! And I, we said, I don't even know why we never looked this up, but we said, "When's Dan's birth? When's Dan's birthday?" And it's the day I had the idea. So it's just. Oh my goodness! 
I mean, you know, whatever you believe, I, for, for us, it, it just feels like we are on the right path. And it's, it's part I, you, of the know, plan. Re, you know, for fear of being cheesy, it's part of the plan. Right, <laughs> right. We say it's part of the plan. Uh, but but anyway, it's just been a complete joy. Thank you so much for having us on your show. Of course. It's been a pleasure. It's been uh, so insightful. And like I said, you know, I think this is the perfect time for something like this. And I'm so excited to see it, you know, get um, get going and actually, you know, come to fruition because I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing musical um, with the music and everything else. Uh, we do have some callers. Um, let's see. Uh, area code 210, you're on with uh, Karen and Kate. Do you have a question for them? Hi, Gail. This is Phyllis Viola. Um, I've been coming. Hi. Phyllis is one of our uh, our friends on uh, the Facebook, Dan Fogelberg Facebook page. Fantastic. Thank you for your comments, Phyllis. We've been enjoying reading them. Let me tell you, it's just been a pleasure this summer to spend my summer. I'm here in Idaho. I live in Dallas, but this summer I'm I'm in Idaho, and I'm I'm looking at the Rocky Mountains right now as we're speaking. And and as you you recall from my post, my husband and I were married in 1981, and we went to as many concerts as we could when we lived in the Detroit metropolitan area, and it's like the soundtrack of our marriage. And my husband yeah. plays guitar, and he loves to, to you know, play Dan Fogelberg for me. Um, and I have so many questions, but the the one that just popped my mind when I got in the queue, other than thank you for doing this, it's just been a total pleasure to be consumed by it, is the character's name of the adopted boy uh, in one of your postings was, I think, Sean. Yes. Yes. And so I'm wondering where you got that name, how you came up with Sean as the adopted boy. Well, to tell you the truth, we had named him Dan. We had named him Daniel. And and while Jean thought it was beautiful that we had wanted to do that, she thought it might not be a good idea given that it was going to be music and lyrics by Dan Fogelberg. She didn't want people to think this was actually Dan. About Dan. Dan. Right. And so right. okay. we knew that uh, that our, our, our boy was going to be adopted by a working-class Irish couple, and we had to come up with a good Irish name. And oh. uh, I have Sean, I have friends named Sean, and I just blurted out Sean, and, and Sean stuck. Okay. Why right. do you well, ask? That's great. Well, because <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I remember reading about it and thought I want I wonder where that came from. Was that a name, uh, you know, close to Dan or Jean's heart uh, in the, in this family in one of your families um, in in a you know uh, subliminal message in one of his you know poetic songs. If you play Sean backwards, it's, there's no secret that, that comes up. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. It just popped into my head. Like I said, because I, I do have, I could have so much conversation with you about this. Um, Maybe another time. We'll be in touch on, we'll certainly be in touch on the blog and email. 
And I do want Absolutely. to contribute, and I, and, I, and I hope there's a way to be able to do, you know, contribute to your, your efforts. Absolutely. You'll be watching. You'll, you'll be among the first to see our, our uh, Kickstarter launch, our Kickstarter launch. It'll be all over our, our pages. So thank you, and we're grateful, and we hope to meet you someday. I hope to meet you, too, and Godspeed. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Phyllis. Thank you. Good luck. Um, well, thank you for spending this time with us. Wow, uh, what an insightful interview, fantastic project. Anybody who uh, wants to be a part of this, uh, I will keep you posted. Uh, Karen will stay in touch with me and Kate will stay in touch with me and let me know when their Kickstarter is going to um, launch, and I will put this stuff up on my website for you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Oh, of course, of course, anytime. And uh, everybody, uh, you know, uh, make sure that you check out their website, www.danfogelbergmusical.com. There's blogs up there. They're very interesting to read. I read all of the uh, blogs last night for my interview. They're fun, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> very much so. And then the Facebook page, of course, like it, um, www.facebook.com slash Dan Fogelberg Musical, part of the plan. Like that on Facebook as well as Media Night Radio because you heard it here first. Um for fans out there, the more you share our Facebook page, the more likes we can get. So for those of you that can share, you know, postings or, or the page itself right. in your own Facebook status, we'd really appreciate it because we're trying to build up our likes. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you, ladies, for spending this time with us. And uh, if you'll just hold on the line for a second, I'm just going to end the, the program. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Have a wonderful evening. I will be back with more interviews next week. Stay tuned.